Hi, Sold viewers. Big Ronnie here with the Sold Stay at Home series. It is April 19th. We are still on lockdown and still trying to give you content, show you that uh, our artists and uh, contributors and everybody in the scene is still doing what they're doing. Uh, if you'd like to help keep us doing what we're doing, please consider signing up on our Patreon page, Patreon uh, slash patreon.com slash sold magazine. And uh, just before we introduce today's guest, I just want to say thank you to everyone out there for helping slow this spread down, being responsible, staying indoors, doing whatever it takes, driving your significant others or roommates absolutely crazy during about all this. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about it, please reach out to us, reach out to Erica, reach out to me, reach out to Sold Mag Online, and uh, let's talk about it. And we're going to be talking about it today with the fabulous Tina Ziegler. Hello, Tina. Hello, how are you both doing? So good to speak with you. Very good. Uh, you are joining us from England. You told us that you recently moved out of London up to York uh, just to get out of the city. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I left about five weeks ago uh, when things started to get really quite crazy, obviously internationally, but in London as well. And I live alone, which is, you know, most of the time wonderful. But when you're going into lockdown, you kind of have to, I, I, I just thought, do I really want to be alone for the next unforeseeable future? So my friends came down from York and rescued me. So I'm very happy to be up here. And um, yeah, I've been relaxing and having, you know, digesting the situation like we all are adapting. Now, uh, our listeners will probably remember you as the creative director, curator, uh, uh, gal Friday, everything for Moniker Art Fairs. Yes. Now, what uh, we've seen you twice in New York and have followed your Moniker shows uh, in England. Uh, what's what's coming up? What's uh, what's what's it looking like? How hard is it to try and put together an art fair now? Oh, fairly impossible, I would say. Um, so you know, Moniker also was doing a lot of other projects outside of the annual art fairs, um, which you know were very much dependent on not a pandemic happening. So. We, you know, we were supposed to be up in Leeds, actually opening an exhibition with Dos Alas from Miami next week in, um, in, you know, end of April, and then had some mural projects happening and, you know, all these kind of things throughout the year. Um, we also were looking at doing another moniker in London. We weren't coming back to New York this year because I wanted to focus on really trying to build out the network in the UK, especially, you know, with Brexit on um, right ahead of us. So it was really important for us as a business to look local for that. Um, but on the other side, you know, we were, we were planning a, a big art fair, which I won't say too much about now, but um, in um, October when we normally do our fairs in London. So, you know, we kind of just, to be completely honest, every single project I've been working on for the past seven months have been postponed. Um, a lot of those as well, unfortunately, were dependent on annual budgets of 2020. Therefore, you know, every time you negotiate a project, you have to renegotiate those budgets. So we're, you know, it's essentially everything that Moniker was doing from, you know, from an event perspective um, has been put on hold for the moment. So it's, uh, it's, you know, that's, I think a lot of art fairs around the world are in a similar situation. A lot of galleries, a lot of exhibitions, everything that 
we used to, you know, publicize about the thousands of people that would come to our event. Now I'm really questioning, you know, how do we change that narrative? Um, is it always such a positive thing to say you have 14,000 people in the same room? So it's, uh, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. So I'm, I'm definitely taking it um, day by day. And I think we all are as business owners and just looking at other ways that moniker can stay relevant. Um, and you know, how really like what you've just said is like really looking out, what are the artists doing now? What are the creatives doing now? Um, and responding to that. See, I'm, I'm struggling every time we speak with an artist or, or, a, a, you know, a, someone, a creative, uh, how, how do you, how do you support them in a time like this without simply buying their work? There's no real way, uh, you know, to help a group or to, or to raise money or to just go after, uh, one small sect of artist or one person right now. Uh, it's, it's tough. Like, uh, if I were you, I, I wish I had your, um, your lists and your buyers and things like that. Maybe you could reach out to people that are actually still spending money out there and frankly looking for deals and match them up with people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of artists are doing kind of studio sales and stuff like that, print sales to get themselves, um, you know, being able to still pay the rent. Um, I think it's, I think there's a lot of opportunity to redesign how we do business for sure. And we have to really think outside the box now. I mean, this is a challenging time on so many levels, not just financial, but um, you know, I think there is this kind of element where it was almost uh, from personally speaking, it was almost digesting what was happening before reacting. And I think, you know, there are, like you said, ways to engage with artists and sell artwork still and keep the movement moving forward. However, I think from me, I, I immediately went to action in my local community. I um, tried to like really do local outreach because I found that was really beneficial and had immediate benefit. Um, and it, I think, you know, we're over here in Europe, we're about five weeks into this, or depending on the country, but in the UK. And I think there's this whole mental element that we need to discuss where there is this kind of pause that happened where we didn't know how to adapt to it from businesses a lot of you know the first two weeks of it was scrambling around trying to reinvent the calendar and then there was this realization of okay no we cannot continue as business as usual and we don't know when in the foreseeable future we will be able to if ever and i think now you know in week five i'm actually now just starting to think right, I have all of these skills, I have all of this network, I have all of this database, like how can I access it? How can I reinvent myself in this space as a curator? Um, and I think that's really where it is. For me, it took me a couple weeks to digest what was happening and, you know, being close to friends that work in the ICU and, you know, people working um, with vulnerable individuals and the elderly here, like it's just been, all of us are just trying to adapt and, and, and solve the immediate problems at hand. Um, the financial strain on all the creatives, but everybody is massive. And that's something that kind of terrifies me really, you know, like how are we, how will we adapt? I know the creative industry, I actually am quite confident will be fine because we've been through worse and we constantly know how to adapt. But um, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely a shocker. So See, I think, I think for uh, people that are a little above the game, we're not, uh, you know, putting work on the street, uh, specifically you or I or Monica or sold. 
uh, I, I think this is the time for us to reinvent and recreate so that we can find a way to at least let everyone know that we're in the same boat as you are and mm -hmm. that we're not, uh, uh, we're not uh, thinking that we're better or above or different. You know, the media and the press and, and, and curators right now uh, could be seen as, you know, a, a little, um, um, you know, uh, uh, opportunistic, you know, but if we, you know, we try to show that we're all together and do our own thing, I think it's going to help. Uh, um, you know, what, what do you, uh, what do you wrap in your mind around finally five weeks in uh, about, you know, people and how, how, how to deal with them differently? Oh, on so many levels, really, Out, even outside of the art space, I, I'm, you know, I'm quite involved in working with people with mental health issues and, and um, uh, vulnerable children. And so I'm just, I, I have my head in a lot of, um, you know, wearing a lot of different hats at the minute, as usual. Um, but within, as, you know, as trying to stay relevant as a curator, um, it's, it's something I'm thinking about more from, again, trying to help people. Um, more through workshops. And We are losing Tina. Let's give her a minute. You? See. Oh. Yeah, let's give her a second. Yeah, you're back. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, I, I really want to start doing more, you know, I used to do a lot of stuff, as you know, with Monica with the art conference, which I think at this current time seems to be more relevant, where we are having this dialogue, these conversations, people are teaching each other their learnings and their skills, and, um, I think that's kind of where I would like to move over the next couple of weeks is really trying to activate those online conversations and debates and discussions because I think there's brilliant minds sitting in, in houses all over the world right now. And if we can't go out and enjoy each other's company at an exhibition opening or have these, you know, really incredible conversations on the weekend with each other in person or going to art fairs, then I think we need to try to just continue that conversation like you guys are doing with Sold um, online and really look at teaching people more, like more, I think there needs to be a lot more artists opening up their studios online, showing their skills. How are we painting? How are we, you know, how do you conceptualize a painting? How do you manifest your style? How do you find authenticity as an artist? Like these big questions, I think we can take some time to really look at answering or going into further. Um, I've been having a, I'm working as a mentor for a university up here in Leeds, obviously now digitally, but a lot of the conversations these young art students and curatorial students are having are quite profound questions about how do you really look at an artist and know that they're gonna be successful through just their style and their sketchbook? How do you identify collectors? How do you build collector groups? You know, So really not looking at just how the industry has operated, but how do these pathways um, are, how are these pathways created? How are artists going to try to find their new authentic voice in the digital age? Like, how do we have this conversation? I think we need to study and research now, and then we'll be able to know how to respond properly. Um, and it's not something I'm looking to do quickly. You know, running an event in the event space for 15 years, you're always on a deadline. You always have this huge project. You don't really have time to dive deep into really profound questions. 
Um, so this is where I see the major benefit of not having a major deadline, um, that we can start to do really profound curatorial work um, about, you know, one, one of the things I've been having conversations with people randomly online about is the origins of street art and those key figures that influenced my career 17, 18 years ago. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people like, oh, wow, I didn't know that about this artist or where did you, when, you know, what was your experience meeting them 15 years ago? And there's this kind of really interesting bringing up the past. Now and is a good time to bring up your, to bring up your hobo code. Hobo code. Exactly. Documenting the history, documenting your own personal uh, career. So, I mean, I want to, you know, redo my website and put out my whole history of work and really look at that, the importance of documentation. Um, so there's a lot, as you can see, there's a lot of things going through my head at the minute, but there isn't this kind of, look, I have this one amazing idea and this is what I'm going to do with it. I am really giving myself a bit of a break at not having to come up with some genius concept. <laughs> I love the Definitely. idea of bringing your discussions online. That was uh, the second moniker, the one in Manhattan. Uh, that was my that was my favorite part of the show. And there was some banging exhibitions at that show as well. But those discussions were fantastic. If you could take that onto a Zoom meeting or onto a, a, a platform and and have uh, you know you moderate it or you sit in and have someone cool moderate it, I think that could be really great. Absolutely. So hopefully when I get my shit together, <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> didn't, didn't I see at one of the shows, wasn't there a 3D camera walking around? Did you guys virtually model that show? Um, we didn't, unfortunately. Now in moments like this, I regret not making that decision. Um, but we do have a lot of video content from each fair and exhibition. And a lot of the art conferences were recorded and they're all online for free. Um, so, you, you know, there's a substantial amount of content out there already that people can look at. Um, but again, like it's all past stuff, right? So in a way you're kind of reminiscing on, on what was and how it was before. Um, and this is such an unprecedented time that I think, you know, there is this beautiful element of remembering and really missing all the great things that we might've taken, uh, taken for granted prior to this. But, you know, once everyone kind of the dust settles and people start to adapt, I think we'll see a real surge of, uh, different ways to approach the same experience and it not being physical. I keep thinking that <clears throat> this is simply just like we're being uh, brought back 100 years in terms of yeah. the way people traveled and the way people reached out. There was no commercial air travel. There was no high-speed rail and things like that. People were, were far more separated years ago than they are today just because of technology. So it should be easier on, on the Instagram logic to, to get the message and get the word out there. But what if people don't have money to buy right now? What if, what if the message and the word is there and there's, there's simply no uh, uh, disposable income for people to play with? Absolutely. I mean, that's a concern for myself. You know, like when you lose your whole business for the next year, as a curator, you're in the same situation as any struggling artist. It's not just, um, you know, we don't just have... I'm self-employed and I've always been self-employed. So it's just a, there are these big things that we need to consider. Like I need to now move out of London because I won't be able to afford the rent. Like I need to change the way that I've been living my life. And that's just within five weeks of this happening. And I think we have months and maybe, you know, some um, 
people are saying things won't go back to normal until middle of next year, if that. So I think there's a huge economical recession um, coming and that's gonna be hard for everybody financially, regardless of what industry you're in. And I think that's, it's gonna be really hard to figure that out. And I definitely don't have the answer to it, but I do think regardless of if we're gonna be spending thousands of pounds on paintings, we're still gonna to wanna to access information and education and communication. So I think there maybe is a, you know, a more of a economies of scale or, or the more people involved in something, and even if they download it for a pound a day or a dollar a day or whatever it is to get access to conferences and talks. And because of the internet, because it's not a hundred years ago, we have access to millions of people now online and they're all sitting at home. So I think there is a way to still reinvent ourselves without this idea of producing a piece of art and then selling it to a collector for a high price. I think we have to really look at maybe doing smaller amounts of work or prints that are really small, really affordable, you know, 20, 30 quid, but doing thousands of them to try to access more people, which will then question the value of art. But I, I just think there's so many different touch points here and it's really gonna, I mean, I know that the creatives will come up with some brilliant creative idea to adapt to this situation. And of course the online websites that are selling art are probably doing quite well still. And the, you know, I have some artists that are doing phenomenally well right now and others that are struggling so hard. And I can't figure out the equation why. It's not like there's this magic equation, but it's, you know, one of my friends, which has been an incredible example is, um, He's been doing, he's a fashion company called Sportsbanger here in the UK, very localized, East London, and like hardcore streetwear brand. And he's been doing t-shirts for the NHS, which is our National Health Service workers. And those t-shirts go to help fund their food for the ICU uh, nurses. And this whole thing has created this storm of people wanting to support him and buy his brand and huge brand awareness and press coverage and everything for a brilliant cause. You know, so he's... So he's gotten incredible PR, incredible network, new clients, new collector bases, but all for a really good cause. You know, so I think there's ways that we have to obviously in media adapt, adapting to help our local communities and help our states and our country. But there is obviously on an individual le level, we need to survive. So well, let, we have to get. <laughs> let, let's talk about that big, beautiful, bleeding heart of yours because isn't this a great time to focus on the ecology and the environment uh, through art? Because just because the, the way that the planet is healing itself with so many, so many fewer uh, uh, humans on the street. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, it's been incredible to breathe clean air. And, you know, people are reporting to see more nature. I don't need to tell you what, you know, the documentations around Venice, the water's being clearer and, you know, in Hong Kong, the pollution level's dropping drastically. I mean, there's a huge positive element on that. I think that also has reminded people how precious nature is and how much we need to preserve it. Um, you know, when you get to see the difference in a short period of time, uh, is really quite impactful. And I think that the art world is, I mean, as you know, it's something I've been advocating for for a long time with trying to get the art world to be more sustainable. And this is a, a great time to look at that. I mean, I'm constantly at this moment really pursuing my bioplastics. 
So I launched a, uh, a compostable biodegradable bubble wrap earlier this year and went into production with it with a bioplastics company here in the UK and made compostable foam, which is water soluble. So you can literally pack your artwork with zero waste. So, you know, that's something I'm really, really interested in, especially now it's a perfect time because people are like, right, we need to make the planet and our health a priority. And once things and manufacturers and industry can start running again, I do think consumers and individuals will want to be part of that change in a much more personal way than we were prior. And this is, there's an opportunity there for sure to talk about the environment and change our practice to ensure that what we do is, is respecting the environment and not just abusing it like we have been doing. You know, it's interesting with you with your biopacking materials because all I heard was an excellent business case. Every CEO, there's three things that they want every day in business is they want to drive their revenue, they want to decrease risk, and they want to decrease expenses. And if you could speak to them simply on a cost basis on how, hey, it's not only nice and friendly for the environment, but it's going to cost you less, then I think you're going to win. It really has to do with the with the, the costing for scale, of course. Oh, kitty drive through. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean the economies of scale of bioplastics, unfortunately, isn't really strong. Like, I mean, because it's more expensive to produce, um, and you know, when you're looking at major manufacturers like Amazon or ASOS or Tesco's or you know your supermarkets there that are packaging their fruit and veg and whatever regardless of the art world just consumer product they those products are less than a penny on the pound on the dollar you know so they they they're so they're such budget crunchers and penny pushers that it's hard to get major industries to shift because they it would directly hit their profit margin regardless of the environmental impact they're just like we want to make as much profit as possible so that's where i found the art world was such a beautiful place to start with that message because we are very privileged individuals in the art community, you know, traveling to Miami every December, going to New York for in May, like, you know, we, the art community as a whole in the market is very privileged, shipping millions of dollars of art around the world every year, that there was more interest and more um, enthusiasm to make the shift to bio uh, materials for art packing and offsetting their shipments because we're a little bit more privileged. And if we're going to spend three pounds, $3 more on a packaging that is zero waste and causes no harm to the planet, you can't really justify not doing it right to the client or the artist or the gallery or the museum. Like there is a, we really do. We really have to respond to the planet in every way that we can in our community because we absolutely can, you know? So that's where I've been, that's where I saw the, you know, the incredible opportunity with working with the creative industries to push that narrative and to push those products. Because once the artists are behind it, then the galleries will be behind it, then the museums are behind it, and then it just, it just has to change. I think all you have to do is find a way to make it trendy. Absolutely. And I was working on it. We had like, we were, I was doing an art campaign with some artists here in the UK. It was coming together really beautifully. Manufacturing was in progress. Um, the price is I got the bubble wrap down to be as competitive as petroleum-based bubble wrap, but some of the packing foams and stuff are more expensive still. But, you know, it's, it was trying to create a zero-waste art kit 
Um, that's still my objective. As soon as my manufacturers start opening up and I can go visit my artist studios, we'll definitely be working on it. But until then, it's just a, a waiting game. Well, you know what, I always like to say in business that, you know, I like hitting a lot of balls in the air, so I don't have to worry about catching them all. You're doing okay, you know, put 50 ideas out there and see which ones sink and float type of thing. Yeah. I know that. I own over 100 domain names. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I always come up with another business idea and I'm like, oh, domain name, gotta buy it. That's funny. Yeah. So how, how else are you? How else are you mitigating uh, indoor life right now and not being able to be out there and be as social as you typically are? You know what? I think a lot of creatives are not having that hard of a time um, because I'm used to being alone a lot. You know, when you're planning an art fair, you're sitting on your computer for 15 hours a day, and you know the whole research stage and the production stage. You're really on your own. It's only those. 10 days of actual fair production and the event itself that I'm around people. So most of the time I spend a lot of time alone anyway. Um, but I've, you know, I was suffering from a bit of burnout last year from working so hard and my body needed a break. And I was planning on taking one this year anyway. So this has kind of come at a very needed time for me personally. But I'm, you know, I keep myself very entertained. I'm designing a new website, reading loads of books, meditating. I'm cooking and eating properly for once. And drinking copious amounts of alcohol and <laughs> laughing a lot, which is great, you know. So it's, it's kind of been a blessing. You know, I'm always trying to find the silver lining in things. Um, I think we have to, to stay sane, Agreed. but it, it's um, definitely rather than trying to fight it and struggle and, you know, against what um, is just being thrown at us. I've just tried to roll with it, you know? So well, this is one of those things that you, one person can't affect any change, but negative right about now. So you, you, you keep yourself safe and you keep people around you safe. You're doing a great job. Absolutely. And I think we can, you know, give so much support to each other online. So I don't actually feel like I'm, you know, I don't feel isolated in any way. I don't feel like I'm not connecting with people. I feel like I am actually having deeper conversations that last longer with people because there's no rush to get off the phone. Um, I don't have to be doing something else like I normally have to do. So I just think, you know, for me, it's been really positive, and for my community, it's been really positive. Um, of course, there's a lot of struggle, and that's you know something that we're all dealing with in our in our own way. But this is a, I think it's a really brilliant time to to be to try to be connected in a in a different way with people, and also to connect with yourself. You know, silence is beautiful. To really like you know to come up with great business ideas or come up with that new creative concept or that new painting, you have to take time to be quiet and that's where a lot of um, creative energy is born. So I think it's really, it's, if you can, if people can, I say definitely try to find your peace with it and um, enjoy it because it's not gonna last. You know, things will go back to chaotic life, but that's in, it's in our nature. And um, it, you know, this is temporary. I couldn't agree more. And those are great uh, final words from Tina. I really appreciate you taking the time today. That was a lovely chat. It's nice to see you still smiling and doing your thing. Uh, Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Really nice to speak to you. Enjoy yourselves. Have a lovely day in the sun.
Thank you very much. Before I let you go, just let everybody know where they can find you online and uh, keep up with your projects. Uh, so there's monikerartfair.com. You can access all the free videos at theartconference.com or either of our YouTube channels. So there you are. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Tina. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.